0: It's time to preach the fantasy
1: gospel, coming up right now. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Fantasy Gospel Podcast. I'm your host today, Carl Grove. Joining me, my good friend, as always, Mike Yehara. How's it going, Mike?
0: Going great. Glad to be here with you, and I'm excited for this episode.
1: Yeah, today we'll be breaking down uh, my TGFBI league so far. Well, not the whole league, but just uh, my team specifically, and kind of, you know, maybe some regrets I had on some certain picks, and maybe some uh, picks that I liked a little bit more, but, uh, you know, just kind of general thought process on team construction, how my TGFBI is going, um, you know, what your thoughts on our, are on my team, Mike, and I know, uh during the draft, I was kind of help her trying to hit you up to get a little bit of your insight on picks, and most of the time, you hit me up late, and I went the opposite way anyway. So, it'll be curious to get your insight on some of those picks. Um, so yeah, we'll just be breaking down my team, and to start off, I had the fifth pick in the draft, Mike, and um, in TGFBI, FBI, it is a fifteen-team league, and uh. It's like a KDS, which is you pick your draft order essentially, so you could pick a th- kind of where you want to go. And my position I picked eight to one. So eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. And then nine to fifteen. And I was able to get pick five. So it worked out fairly well for me. You know, it was a fairly early pick for me. And that worked out nice. So knowing that I had the fifth pick, Mike. I was torn, well not really torn, I f- figured I'm either going to take a pitcher and my first pitcher was DeGrom or Mike Trout because I assumed the four bats, Acuna, Tatis, Soto and Betts would be gone. But if one of the, if someone in the top four took a pitcher, I would take one of those guys was my strategy. And then I thought about the DeGrom-Trout thing and I figured I was going to go DeGrom in that situation. Um. So yeah, what are your thoughts on taking Degrom in the first round over a Mike Trout, and kind of the whole thought process there?
0: I think it's a good idea because Trout's uh, obviously very safe and underrated. You know, the ones talking about who to pick number one when Trout's been like a top four player. For, you know, for the majority of the last few years here, or so uh trout's a good pick but i like the grom and i think that uh, he's got a team upgrade behind him so where he was getting robbed with wins uh you know now he's definitely gonna be i think in a position to get a lot more wins so you know it's really hard to predict that but 15 plus wins i wouldn't be surprised so i think you'll be really pleased with that pick there carl all
1: right perfect and then um it might be better maybe i'll just run through my team real quick But real quickly before I do that, I'm just going to ask you on the DeGrom thing, is he your first pitcher, or do you have Cole or Shane Bieber as your number one SP? I believe I have DeGrom as number one. All right. Just because
0: Cole struggles a little bit, but DeGrom is, I feel like, the most stable and durable and least amount of questions among that top three.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, And I know you're big on like ballpark and the AL East, trying to like avoid those situations and stuff like that. So that might move Cole down to, you know, the second pitcher, which I... Yes, kind of DeGrom
0: is one for me in my
1: ranks. Kind of a school too. All right, cool. And then real quick, let me run through my team real fast, Mike, and then I'll let you kind of take the floor and maybe ask your questions, uh, kind of nitpick and pick apart my team. Um, tell me these picks weren't so good. Uh, then maybe build back up my confidence with some better picks. So uh, my first pick went DeGrom... And then I got the, back around was Machado, Xander Bogarts in the third round. Uh, then I came back around and it was Alex Bregman, Trent Grisham, Kevin Biggio. So, so far through six rounds, I have five bats and DeGrom. And then seventh round, I got Jesus Lazardo, followed by Max Muncie, Brad Hand. And then I got some outfielders in round 10, 11, 12. I went Mike Yastrzemski, Kyle Lewis, Joey Gallo. And then got my first catcher in Gary Sanchez. So, so far through 13 rounds, Mike, I only have three pitchers, 10 bats, and only two starting pitchers, one closer in Brad Hand. But then round 14 through 20, I went... All starting pitchers, Chris Bassett, Dallas Keuchel, James Paxton, Dustin May, Sean Manaya, Griffin Canning, Justice Sheffield. And so far, we're sitting right there in round 20, about to turn to round 21. And yeah, that's my team. I uh, went pretty heavy on the pitching as of late and got right now sitting about, I believe it's 10 pitchers and 10 bats. So exactly equal but in terms of pitching not the best arms i only have one closer out of all those pitchers um but i feel pretty confident with the bats what are your thoughts on my teams? um and yeah what are your, kind of your questions thoughts concerns
0: i think the best way to handle it is just to break it down in groupings so we'll just start with rounds one through five perfect To reiterate, you had DeGraw, Machado, Bogarts, Bregman, and Grisham. And my response to your question is, uh, I do like those, those, I'll say four of those five I would draft for sure, uh, with Bregman being the only exception that I would not. And uh, it looks like you could have chosen Pete Alonso over Bregman, so shame on you, Carl. And, uh, you know, maybe Liam Hendricks there. When you took Bregman ahead of him, and, you know and that's towards the end of the fourth round. There, I might have taken more of a high side, high upside closer, uh, but that's not necessarily something you have to do. And this year, I think you can get a lot of closers late, a lot of saves late in drafts, so uh, you don't really need to invest an early round pick on a closer, in my opinion.
1: Real quickly, right there with the Bregman situation. So I actually was; it was kind of a pick 'em for me. I was thinking because I only had Degrom. I was thinking Carlos Carrasco or Alex Bregman and um, let the clock run a little bit, which is kind of inconsiderate to my league mates, but that was kind of what I was torn between was Carrasco or Bregman. And um, in hindsight, how my team is built, what would you say just in terms of those two? I know you're not a big Bregman guy, as you said, but uh, would you have taken Carlos Carrasco right there or would it only be a high upside? Liam Hendricks, Josh Hader type? Uh,
0: I would take either, if I'm committed to an arm, Carrasco for sure, or Liam Hendricks. So I think Carrasco is in store for like a really nice year. And I think he could be like a top 20 pitcher this year, honestly, upside for that for Carlos Carrasco. So him as your starting pitcher too, I think would be really, really good. Because having Lazardo there. And the next grouping that we'll talk about as your starting pitcher, too, uh, as much as I love Lazardo, I think if he is healthy, he could be like a top 20 pitcher as well. I just don't know about the health and how they want to manage the him over there. For sure, right yeah. over the course of his 162 game season, too. So, you know, I do have some concerns there, but with Bregman, the floor is very high, you know, so it's really hard to nitpick there. But just because of maybe like an Alec Bone for me, who I like later, I could put him in a third base instead of Bregman, who I like boom, over Bregman. That's why I would lean towards pitcher there, but I don't think you did anything wrong, honestly. If you want to finish with any remarks about picks rounds one through five.
1: Um, No, I feel like in uh, the DeGrom, Machado, Bogarts, Bregman, Grisham, I feel like uh, I know you don't like the Bregman one, but I feel like, you know, last year was a down year. I feel like he's going to bounce back. I feel like that's a lot of safety right there. And I actually think my riskiest pick is your boy Trent Grisham, even though I know you're very excited about, and he has been leading off against lefties. You were telling me in spring training, which is very encouraging for him. So there's a lot of upside for him. I also took him for the stolen bases. Um, in terms of Alex Bregman, say there's like an issue with a dead in ball, so he doesn't hit as many home runs. I'm still hoping that because he's young, maybe he does get the stolen bases back to like an eight to ten range. And I'm kind of similarly hoping maybe all those guys chip in a couple of stolen bases with the Machado, Bogarts, Bregman. I'm not expecting a lot of stolen bases, anything like maybe just touch double digits in terms of 10, 8 to 10 with those guys each would be uh, you know kind of what I'm hoping. And then I'm hoping that they all have a pretty safe batting average to give me you know a nice safe floor to then build for the rest of my draft is kind of what I was thinking. And then Grisham, I was hoping for more stolen bases, batting leadoff for the Padres, should get a lot of runs. And so that was more trying to get those stolen bases and then also get a high upside, you know, contributor. Yeah, I
0: think that's uh, with Bre- Bogarts is kind of a little underrated with his speed because for his age rank last year, he was in the top 20 uh, according to his stat cast speed. So he did get eight stolen bases in only 56 games. Uh, didn't get caught stealing, so that's really encouraging as well. Um, and, you know, even if you just account for a little bit of regression, extrapolating that maybe from 8 to 5 or 8 to 4 over, a th- you know, multiplying by 3 almost because he played 56 games, you know, that's 15 stolen bases. Uh, so I think 8 to 10 there, Carl, is probably like the sweet range. And I think that uh, Bregman him potentially running more this year is also a good call. And uh, I think that uh would not be surprised to see him run a little bit more. And that's some good point to bring up about him because he did do that in the past. So definitely agree.
1: Yeah, it's that's not like fun. he's old. It's more of like, a, you know, a hope than a for sure thing with the Bregman running. But, you know, that with them not, uh, you know, maybe hitting as many home runs, maybe there's more chances to run, stuff like that. Sorry to cut you off there real quick, though. Oh,
0: no, no. Definitely, you make all good points. So moving on to rounds six through nine, you picked Kevin Biggio, Jesus Lazardo, which we talked about before for a second, Max Muncie, and Brad Hand. So out of those four, is there any maybe that you would redo looking back in the middle of your draft?
1: Um, the Max Muncie one, I probably would have taken Matt Olsen, which was taken two picks later. Um... Kevin Biggio, I just kind of wanted a second baseman and I do, I'm not super excited that he's probably going to bat in the bottom half of the Blue Jays lineup, but an injury or, you know, maybe Simeon doesn't hit as well. He could easily move back up because of his on-base skills and Kevin Biggio was another guy wanting a little bit of home run and speed power er, and speed and then getting that at second base. Um, you know, I wanted to lock that up. Wasn't too excited about Biggio, but probably should have taken Max Freed, which went three picks later there. Um, there were kind of a lot of good pitchers that went right in between that, Kevin Biggio and Jesus Lazardo, which I should have maybe grabbed one of those. The Max Freed, I like Zach Wheeler. Jose Barrios is pretty safe. Um, maybe not as high of the upside as we used to think, but he seems pretty safe for the Jose Barrios. So maybe one of those guys I could have grabbed since I grabbed Max Muncy in the eighth round. Um, so in hindsight, maybe that pick. Um, I like Jesus Lazardo. With him, um, I just kind of want good arms who pitched you know, good innings. You did mention the injury-prone, and then obviously I don't think he's going to pitch the high end of the innings, like a bunch of innings, but I think they're going to be quality innings, so I took him and then um, Max Muncy. I don't know if he's going to play as much as like Matt Olson plays every day. I think the Dodgers, they'll just rotate players a little bit more. Not that he's not going to play basically every day. I just think he'll have a little bit more time off and stuff like that. So I think maybe Matt Olson has like a 40-homer upside, whereas I don't know if Max Muncy has that 40-homer upside. I know he's hit 35 home runs in 2019 and 2018. But maybe that pick I might have gone Olsen – just for a little bit. I feel like more upside. Um, But the Max Muncy one gives me a little bit position eligibility in terms of first, second, third base. And I kind of like that in terms of everyone getting hurt all the time, gives me some roster, you know, maneuverability throughout the season and stuff like that. So I did like that with Muncy. So it's not like a, it's not like I'm super regretting that pick. It's just, I was debating between Olsen and Muncy on that pick and Obviously, he got picked right after. And then Brad Hand, I like Brad Hand. I think he's going to get a majority of the saves. I believe he led the league in saves last season. Um, there are some signs of potential regression given the uh, velocity dip a little bit, but he had a really good ERA, really good whip last year. So some of those things I can't really deny. And if he's going to get the majority of saves, I kind of wanted one of those um I wouldn't say high end closer, but I wanted someone who I felt was a safe closer before it got to more of the sketchier rain closer. So, with bad hand, I felt pretty good with that pick as well.
0: What is your confidence in hand to hold that drop all year long? Zero, no confidence, 10, complete confidence.
1: I'd say like a eight. Okay. I think he gets like 80% of the save. So, I'd say like an eight.
0: Yeah, definitely. The StatCast data reflects really well on the batted ball events against Brad Hand. So, you know, the strikeouts are there. The stat cast data looks good. You know, I think maybe some of the concerns that I had personally are a little overinflated. Uh, And then just hearing you talk about him and doing a little bit deeper look here myself while you were explaining more about your Brad Hand selection. Maybe I'm warming up to him there. So that's not a bad call. I I do like that more than we're talking about it here.
1: I will say there are some concerns with Hand, but then um, just kind of if you were to go with the closers being taken behind him, I would argue there's similar concerns with Kirby Yates, um Nick Anderson of the Rays. Are you confident that he's going to get all the saves would be kind of the question. I do think he's more maybe a a better pitcher, but then in terms of the save potential is he just as good? And then Jordan Hicks was the next one, so If you're looking at those four, do you think there's like a gap between hand and then those three at all? Uh,
0: That's a good way of thinking about it. I think uh, I like Yates a lot as a rebound. Last year, he pitched with some loose bodies in his elbow. So that's a very simple explanation to me why his numbers look bad. In 2019, Yates was dominant. So I like Yates a lot. Uh, I do like hand. So to me, I feel maybe safer in hand. Because he was healthy last year. He pitched all year, like you said, led the league in saves, whereas Yates is coming off some surgery, and we're just expecting that from him.
1: And even with the hand thing, um, something that I thought about, you know, missing on the Devin Williams, that which we'll get to, because I probably should have got him instead of Chris Bassett. I don't know what I was thinking there. But, like um, – in terms of Brad Hand, there's also, like, a closer in waiting, the uh, Tanner Rainey, I believe is his name. Yeah, Tanner Rainey. So I could take him with a later pick, get a, someone who I think is going to be a fairly good uh, middle reliever, you know. And then if something happened to Hand, which you have, a, it sounds like, a little bit of concern about, um, you know, it kind of covers my cost a little bit. You know what I'm saying?
0: I do, but I also see... Uh... Dan Hudson being uh, someone who could fill that void if hand struggles, but I do feel more confident in hand now that we talked about it, to be honest with you. So I have less concerns there. And then with Craig Kimbrell, who's going after uh, both hand and uh, Kirby Yates in your draft, I also like him as well. So those are all quality closers. I think that's a right time to pick at least one closer because you don't want to wait too long. And, uh, let me ask you from that group, Carl, from, from the grouping of Cavan Biggio, Lazardo, Muncie, and Hand, who has the most risk in 2021?
1: Um, risk, I would say it's it, probably those two arms in terms of risk. Because um, I do think Biggio and Muncie will play a lot. I don't know if they're going to produce to like their. Like Muncie, I don't know if he's going to be the 2019 Muncie or if he's going to be the 2020 Muncie where he's super low batting average, stuff like that. So I do think there's a lot of risk in terms of like those players. But I feel pretty good, even with the Kevin Biggio, because he has the power speed. I feel like that gives him some safety, even if he's hitting in the bottom of the lineup, even if his batting average isn't, um, say, beneficial. His on-base skills are beneficial. And those say batting in the bottom of the lineup and getting on base, maybe because you don't have such a good hitter behind you, they give him more of a green light. Maybe he's able to up his stolen bases more. So now that I'm thinking about it, Kevin Biggio, I think because of the power speed, uh, fairly safe there. The Lazardo, the innings scares me a lot. So say if he gets rocked because he's not pitching a lot of innings, that's pretty risky. Obviously there's the health concerns and then, Brad Hand, there's the velo drop and some other concerns with him as well and just the constant switching out of the closer position. I think it was 40% of turnover rate for closers last year. So just that position in general seems kind of sketchy. So I, I would guess I would say the two pitchers are the you know most likely to bust or fail. But I think that's due to just inherently being that position is inherently like bustable.
0: Yeah. And it got pushed up. Like you've been saying last couple episodes, pitching is that that is,
1: I think that's also, like you said earlier, you talked about like the safe guys, like the Liam Hendricks, like round four seems to be higher than I remember the elite closer, the like number one closer going in round four. I, in my memory, for some reason, I remember it being a little bit later. So it seems like those elite closers are going a little bit higher because of their safety and that. So, you know, maybe those guys are even a safer pick per se. But I don't know. I feel like those are those are probably my sketchiest picks in that little range.
0: Yeah, Muncie did have a 208 Babbitt last year. 203, I'm sorry adding average on balls in play for Max Moncey. So definitely lots of positive regression in his profile. Moving on uh, really quick to Lazardo before we get to the next set of grouping of players. Carl, when you're drafting in 2021, is it fair to ask yourself, starting pitching that is, when you're drafting, starting pitching, is this player likely to pitch five or more innings before you actually draft that pitcher? Because I feel like that's kind of the... For me, myself, the baseline, if, if I can't get a pitcher who's going to consistently give me five innings every start, I don't want him no matter what his name is.
1: Yeah, I think that's very valid, especially in a wins league and stuff like that. Um, are you asking that and concerns with Jesus Lazardo in that? You- yeah.
0: Does that apply to Lazardo then in your mind, or do you feel confident he can go five every start?
1: I think once he gets going, he'll be going five innings. Um, I, I do think there's some concern maybe early on that they might baby him a little bit. Yeah. And just with the injury concerns in general, last year probably was a little bit babied as well. I don't know his – what. do you have his innings per start in front of you by chance? Uh, for Luzardo,
0: I do not, but I can try to find that pretty quick.
1: But I think he could get through five. I think he's a good pitcher. Yeah. Um, Let me try to look for, there's some other guys behind him that probably, I I like Chris Paddock a lot for a bounce back.
0: Yeah, I was seeing Musgrove and Paddock are both there after, so in hindsight, do you think that either of those two are more of a lock for five plus innings each start?
1: I think they could be, but then my kind of counter to the, you know, maybe they go more innings, but then don't you think the Padres have more of a six-man rotation? With those guys, you Darvish, Blake Snell, Danelson Lamette, if he's healthy. Um, they seem to have just a lot of guys. Yeah. Definitely. So maybe so I would think maybe that would kind of be your counterbalance to the Lazardo that they might pitch a similar amount of innings just because they you know, the Padres have the ability to kind of do what the Dodgers have been doing in terms of messing with people's innings a little bit.
0: Yeah, quite the conundrum, honestly. So that's why I was just kind of curious with that mentality. I've been trying to take, and uh, I only did that after making some starting pitcher picks and reflecting on not feeling confident and then going five innings every start. So I just uh, feel like that's some good uh, anecdote to like f- apply to other people's drafts because uh, people are pushing up starting pitching. So if you're going to invest early, I think that's something that you want to guarantee yourself is – much as you can that you have five innings because you can't qualify for a win if you don't get through five and if you can get through five there's a chance of more strikeouts so I don't know that's just my my way of thinking but I don't want to linger too long I'm sorry about that rounds 10 through 14 Carl you went ahead and you selected Micah Strimmste Kyle Lewis Joey Gallo the rooster the Sanchez Gary Sanchez Chris Bassett your boy and Dallas Keuchel or Keiko's in the next ground grouping. Never mind. So, yeah, you went with Yastrzemski, Lewis, Gallo, Sanchez, Bassett. Out of those, how do you feel?
1: Um, I feel pretty good. Uh, We'll kind of focus just on the bats real quick, and then I'll throw Chris Bassett in that just group of arms right there, if that's cool, because then I took another six arms behind Bassett. Yeah. So – Right here, I kind of wanted to fill out my outfield at least a little bit. I wasn't necessarily planning on getting three outfielders here. But I did kind of want to maybe get two. And so I picked Jastrzemski. I had him last year. Seems like, you know, pretty safe. Pretty studly. Um, Then I wrapped around to Kyle Lewis. I was hoping he gets me a little bit more of the power-speed combination. And then... To go back to the Joey Gallo, Gary Sanchez, that was in terms of, uh, we mentioned, the ball should be a little bit more deadened, but to the extent, no one really knows per se. So those guys, I wanted some power there. And then Gary Sanchez, I also wanted a catcher. They seem to be going a little bit. So that was kind of my thoughts there with the Gallo-Sanchez. And then with those two in regards, I felt pretty safe because I thought Early on with the Machado, Bogarts, Bregman, I thought I had a decent average floor, but then I started getting a bunch of bad average players in terms of like Biggio, Muncie, and stuff like that. So I probably killed any batting average that I had with these picks, but I wanted some power, and then with Kyle Lewis, some uh, power speed and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and I feel like you have to consider batting average as one of the most volatile hitting stats. And you do have some anchors there in Machado, Bogart, Spregman. They can hit all two, 280 or higher. Grisham, maybe not so much. Biggio, not so much. Muncie, I think, is about like 250. So doesn't hurt you too much. Focusing on that grouping that we were just mentioning, Kyle Lewis, I really like him to put up probably like a 20 and 10 minimum floor. So I think 30 and 15 is not out of the question the strikeout rate was an improvement last year from 2019. So I'd like to see him take another step forward. And I don't expect that step to be great, but you know, he's still under 30%. And there's other players out there who are over. So, you know, I think his concerns are a little over exaggerated at this point, because with Kyle Lewis, he improved his chase rate by 10% from 2019 to 2020. And, uh, improved his swinging strike rate so I think as he gets more comfortable he's already made some adjustments he's going to adjust some more and I think that uh, that's a nice pick Carl and I kind of regret waiting for him I saw him falling in my TGFBI draft and jump and having a little FOMO right there so uh, the next one I wanted to talk about really quick in that group is the rooster he's been crushing it in spring training Joey Gallo like four spring training home runs I love that pick Carl Gary Sanchez also crushing it in spring training this year. Uh, Two home runs or three home runs today, I think, was his third. So I love that pick, too. If you get a 30-home run catcher on a two-catcher team, it gives you a lot of leeway between picking Gary Sanchez and another catcher. Um, And Sanchez will be overdrafted again next year. So I think that was a really good call, taking him at that ADP. Uh, who's the riskiest in that grouping for you, Carl, between Yastrzemski, Kyle Lewis, the Rooster, Sanchez?
1: I don't know. I feel like that's a pretty – I don't necessarily want to say safe group, but I feel like they're pretty safe. Um, I would maybe say the riskiest would be Sanchez as a catcher. But I feel like playing time is there for all of them in terms of Yastrzemski, Lewis, Gallo. Uh, Joey Gallo, the batting average is sketchy, so that would be – you know, maybe the riskiest in terms of he could bat 200, maybe even flirt under 200, but I don't think I think he'll be a little bit better. I do, I don't necessarily like the. I want to say it was his 2019 season, seems to be a little bit of an anomaly in terms of his batting average going up so high, and I don't necessarily think I can count on him having like flirting with a 250 batting average so i think there's inherent risk because he's not going to have that ability and i think i think similarly with Gary Sanchez i don't necessarily think he has the ability to hit 250 but for those two guys i'm i'm hoping for like a 220 230 batting average with a lot of home runs that's kind of what i'm hoping there um so i would say those two are the riskiest given their batting average
0: yeah definitely but uh I think they'll both outperform their ADPs in all honesty there. You grabbed uh Gallo in round 12, Sanchez, 13. I think that they'll both play at least a round or two better. So in terms of your return on investment, I think those are really good picks. Kastrzemski, very high floor. Uh, I think he is like a 300 hitter, honestly, 20 home runs, maybe five to 10 stolen bases. So a uh, very valuable in a five outfielder league, especially I think Mike Kastrzemski is. I like that grouping and, uh, if there's nothing else, Carl, we can move on to your pitching then.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: All right, uh, we'll break it down. We'll half this because you drafted so many arms. You went one, two, three, seven four, in five, a row, six. Yeah, seven straight arms. So we can. Sounds like we can dismiss Bassett pretty quickly here.
1: Yeah, I kind of regret it. The next pick was Devin Williams, and that's who I probably should have grabbed. Um, you know, one of those. Middle relievers, who's going to get you? I think a hundred strikeouts, and then ratio your or, uh anchor your ratios or your ERA and WHIP. Um, so then, my thinking in terms of the Bassett was last year I just didn't have enough starting pitching. They went so early. My waiver wires, there was no real starting pitching to be had. So my thought process is like here and kind of in general was to get just a mass quantity of starting pitchers. And then even have the ability to then plug and play because it's a you know you set your lineup for the week. So you only have, I believe, it's nine pitching spots. So not all your pitchers are going to play. So I'm trying to pick, you know, just have so many pitchers that I can pick best matchup. Um, I know Chris Bassett, I was looking at him. Um, he starts off with the Astros and then Dodgers, so not the most ideal matchups to start. But then he's supposed to be scheduled up against the Diamondbacks and the Tigers. So it's going to be unfortunate. Probably won't start him the first two games. And uh, he won't perform well, so then I'll be a little sketched out to start him those next two games. <laughs> so that pick I, was, I wasn't was super excited about. But in terms of like the Batsit and Dallas Keuchel, I'm trying to get guys who pitch a decent amount of innings Um, Dallas Keuchel I was hoping the White Sox get some wins with him and just kind of you know get good innings and kind of hopefully not blow up I'm kind of hoping for like maybe a poor man's Marco Gonzalez from those two and Marco Gonzalez went in like the 11th round so that's kind of what I was hoping for with those guys I think the Marco Gonzalez has a little bit more upside but that's kind of what I'm hoping for with them and then I went James Paxton, Dustin May. So for those guys, the kind of the exact opposite. Um, I don't think they're going to particularly pitch a lot of innings, but I'm hoping for more upside. And that's kind of what I went with the next few guys. Like I took Griffin Canning in the 19th, uh, Justice Sheffield. I'm hoping for like a little bit more upside from those guys. Um, even though they won't pitch the innings like Dustin may, I don't even know if he's going to make the opening day roster. So, but I think when he pitches for the Dodgers, I think those are going to be really good innings. So for those like few guys, same with James Paxton, I expect a little bit of a bounce back going back to Seattle. Um, That was my philosophy with those guys. And then the Chris Bassett Dallas Keiko hopes of innings. And then in terms of all those guys, being able to hopefully because of the quantity maybe do a little bit more matchup based stuff this year because you know me i don't really i struggle doing the matchup plays you're way better at it whereas i just play someone who's playing whereas this year i want to try to get a little bit better at that stuff
0: and message stack has data is not too bad i mean on the bad side, he does have a, a expected ERA that's one and a half runs worse than his 2.29 ERA, but the expected slug, the expected batting average are not that bad, honestly, from what I would have guessed. If you had given me like 10 chances to guess, I don't think I would have guessed what he has. So uh, he had the career best strikeout rate as well with Chris Bassett, and I I think that did follow uh change in his pitch mix. Um, so... Yeah, it looks like he used the cutter 10% more a little bit. Also up to his changeup. So, you know, I think uh, generating soft contact has a lot of value and uh, innings eater have values as well. So Chris Bassett, I could see eating some innings. Uh, That's a good point there. The early season schedule is something to keep in mind, I think, on draft day a little bit. I don't think it should be like the main.
1: With some of these later guys, I think it – it's uh, something to look into. Like uh, early guys that you're confident in, I wouldn't really look into it at all. But maybe some of guys you're a little more sketched out on might be something. Or even if you're deciding between two guys at a spot, it might be something to look at because, you know, like I said, if Chris Bassett doesn't pitch well against Houston and L.A., how confident would someone be to start him for the others? Could he then be dropped? Stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and usually in this format, you would have a bench pitchers or multiple bench pitchers, so you could have, in theory, some more options.
1: And then I also feel like you mentioned his ERA um, being a 2.29 last season. I do feel like, you know, that is obviously the high. Um, So that's kind of what sketches me out a little bit in terms of Chris Bassett, you know, how much does it come down per se. But the year before, 144 innings had a 3.81 ERA. So it's not horrible. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So I'm I guess giving him I'm a, I guess, credit. I guess I was a little more negative. Yeah, I was a little more negative on him than I probably should have been. But, um, you know, just kind of these arms in general, there's always going to be a little bit of concern. What are, In terms of how I've drafted so far, what have your thoughts been before you continue breaking down these arms? Well, the first thing that
0: stands out to me looking at your draft board is uh, two picks after you took Bassett was Chris Sale. So I don't know what pick overall Chris Bassett was, but that was towards the end of the 14th round. So would you personally ever take Chris Sale at the end of the 14th round, Carl?
1: I thought it was a little early for Chris Sale. I would have waited maybe two rounds, but there was a lot of those guys. I know if you look at that kid's team or – Grown man's team or grown ladies team. <laughs> um, his 18th round, he picked Noah Syndergaard. Um, so I think he's maybe he's kind of stockpiling those because early on he didn't get a super high upside arm. He his first pick or his first arm was Zach Plesac in the fifth round with a Lamette Granky. So maybe he's trying to just get some of those high upside, um, you know, arms later but i would agree i think it is a little bit early cuz how many innings can you guarantee for those guys um and stuff like that guys who are injured setbacks um you know how well are they able to perform coming off of their injury you know there's just a lot of question marks with those guys so i think and i and also think it could wait a little bit but like i said this is only my second year in the tgfbi league and it seems like pitching is just prioritized like so much more than the other leagues that I do so that's why this year I've gone seven in a row right there and that's also why I picked five instead of doing trout I went with DeGrom because I knew even based on my drafting style I kind of similar to you like to pick bats over arms and then um, so yeah the DeGrom I knew I wanted to get an arm early and then I'd just pick a bunch later, was kind of my general strategy. um, And then, so yeah, we'll continue. Dallas Keuchel, kind of same thing with Chris Bassett. I'm hoping for maybe uh, mid-threes ERA, gets you a decent amount of wins and in innings with the White Sox. Nothing too um, super high upside-y there. Um, in round 16, I really wanted John Means to fall to me. He went the pick before me, and then I just went with James Paxton.
0: I had been hearing that his fastball velocity was down in his last start or spring training. Means or Paxton? Means velocity, sorry. So I think that's just something to watch in spring training, but honestly I'm never really that high on him this year, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I don't really
1: need to. I know he finished the end of the season well last year. His last four starts were way better than his first four starts last season. Um, so I know there's been a lot of talk of like, uh, maybe tapping into some potential there, especially going in round 16, you're trying to go for maybe a little bit more, maybe he's able to tap into some potential and take you, take you to a newer level type thing. But, um, yeah, he got taken right before me and then Paxton kind of fell to me. I still wanted pitching in this area. So that's kind of why I went Paxton, but, um, real quick, what were you going to say?
0: I uh, know a lot of people in the industry love John Means, but let's say he does break out early on in the year. Yes. And the Baltimore Orioles, who were predicted for a 0% playoff chance odds to basically pitch all year, I feel like would never happen realistically. They'd bubble wrap him at the slightest sign of injury. They would try to take care of him and keep him as healthy as possible. So I feel like even if he does break out, there's a, a ton of risk playing on a non-contender that's just tanking for.
1: All right, uh, Kumar Rocker. So my real quick counter argument to that would be, um, kind of, does that matter in a sense that so he broke out in this hypothetical because you know he hasn't broken out yet. You know this is just a hypothetical. So he breaks out, you get all those great innings, and they shut him down. Um, why is that a bad thing, especially given in round sixteen? You know what I'm saying. I understand where you're saying, oh, it's not as uh, ideal, and it's not as like you know. But you did get the breakout and say it's only 140 innings or 100, you know, 20 innings. But I think he's going to be more than 120. But just saying this, given hypothetical, say tweak something after 120 and they kind of baby him for the rest of the way you got those breakout innings already. So isn't that already the big benefit that you want?
0: Um, I think maybe like 140 is a lot, but I, I honestly don't know. I think that's a good point to make. But There's so much.
1: In terms of like, say like a John or a James Paxton, I just want, you know, good, clean innings. I don't necess- I'm not necessarily grabbing the guy to go. Not that I think anyone in this range is going two hundred innings, but those two hundred inning workhorses that we were thinking about in the past, I'm not necessarily grabbing any of these guys to be a workhorse guy. I'm just wanting maybe good innings, and then if you got the breakout with John Means, you got those good innings, and then whatever happens happens. Okay. Because that's why I, it. That's why I took. Say we'll just move to the next guy, and kind of how I was thinking, Dustin May. I don't even necessarily think that he might break camp because the Dodgers are so deep at pitching. But I'm expecting him to eventually pitch some really good innings for the Dodgers this year, hopefully you know, 80 to 120, somewhere in there. I know that's kind of a big range, but that's what I'm hoping. And so I just wanted really good clean innings because I didn't have, in terms of the high upside or the volume in arms, that's why I took him. So what are your kind of thoughts, even on just that theory in general? I think there's
0: some validity to it, for sure. You know, I can't say that it's wrong, honestly. So uh, I do see the merit to it as well. And just personally looking at your draft board, I see other guys like I would not have gone pitching some of those picks, you know, like uh, Alex Colome. I really like him. I would have gone if I had to go pitching with the closer there. Maybe one of those picks, like uh, Paxton, I don't like drafting this early in the top 20 rounds. May, I don't like drafting in the top 20 rounds. You know, those are also guys I don't see pitching five innings every time they get a start. I do like Keuchel. I think that's a really nice, safe pick. I think he can give you five, six innings every start. Uh, Same with Bassett. Those two guys do have high floors, in my opinion, for that reason.
1: But... Exactly, and that's then why I took the Paxton in May because I felt like those guys had higher floors. I was maybe leaning for a higher upside uh not so high floor,
0: yeah, yeah, I could see the upside play for sure then that makes sense
1: and then in terms of uh colome um this just had one really rough outing in spring training um kind of scared me off. I've never been a huge Colome guy um I do like Taylor Rogers, even though he had a rough uh, year last year. So I just wasn't super convinced on the Colome thing. I do think he's going to get a majority of the saves. Um, my question would just be how many saves and then how good of an innings, how many strikeouts, you know, like what else is he doing for you other than that? So that was my concern there. Um, a guy later who I uh, wish I was able to get was Amir Garrett. Went right before Sean Manaya who I picked in round 18. Um, he's someone that I really wanted, and um, but yeah, in terms of the other picks, I didn't have too many regrets. Um, I do think that I probably should have got one of those relief pitchers because there was a big run in terms of Matt Barnes, Pomeranz, Taylor Rogers, but uh, even th- so, we'll go back to the Dustin May. I took Dustin May over like a Joaquin Soria and I'm not necessarily super excited about Soria, but he could get a potentially the majority of the saves for the Diamondbacks. But how confident are you that he retains the role the whole time? Um, if they're bad, is he even going to get that many saves? Um, so in terms of that, some of these relief pitchers seemed sketchy to me, whereas may, when he's in, he seems less sketchy. And that's why I took him, um, but yeah, we'll kind of close it out real quick with the Manaya Canning, and Justice Sheffield. It's kind of a similar thing, kind of just trying to go for some high upside arms. I know that they're not particularly going to eat up a lot of innings, but you know that none of these guys really are. And then given through round 20, I only have one relief pitcher in Brad Hand. We were talking about the turnover rate of relief pitchers and even kind of some of the sketchiness of you know, closer by committee situations that I'm not as concerned about getting all those saves and using some of those picks for those guys. And I was kind of taking starting relief or starting pitching here over the relief pitchers that were going. Um, and then also the uh, I don't know how you say his name, but Kwang Home Kim of the St. Louis Cardinals in round 18 went right behind my Shamanai pick. And I was looking at him. I don't really know particularly much about him, and that's why I didn't draft him. But in hindsight, given the unknown that I don't particularly know, and then his stats in, I believe it's the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, being very impressive last season. I believe he had it under a two ERA last season. Um, So in hindsight, I probably should have just gotten him. Um, You know, but you never know until it, Actually plays out, but I feel like he could have just maybe more of a upside there. I don't know his particularly like pitching profile stuff like that. um I was also looking at Daniel Bard as like kind of one of the later closers for the Rockies, but I didn't feel super excited about that either. I kind of felt like it's not a bad game job Just kind of you know kind of shore up my pitching. Hopefully, in terms of these seven guys right here, Bassett, Keichel, Paxton, May, Manaya, Canning, Sheffield. I don't need them all to pan out. Um, I just need a few to pan out, and then, you know, I can, can end up mix and match the rest of the way. I'm hoping to get a few maybe middle relievers uh, or guys in waiting, um, maybe middle relievers who are kind of the next man up, who might even be better than the closer, like uh, Stephen Critton of the Diamondbacks. Might be a guy in waiting who could be better. So, those guys I might get later on. And that's kind of what I was doing in terms of relief pitching. All right. So, yeah, we're back. We experienced a little bit of technical difficulties. So, there's going to be a little bit of a hiccup in the audio. We were kind of talking about Dustin May, Shamaniah, Griffin Canning, Justice Sheffield, that kind of range of pitching for my team. Um, we talked about the Bassett, Keiko being a little bit, um, you know, kind of better than you think. And then uh, James Paxton, Dustin May, guys you're not super excited about drafting. Um, so then what about these next three guys? Sean Manaya. I kind of wanted to take uh, uh, Wang Hyung Kim. Uh, we briefly mentioned uh, his KBO numbers, I believe, before we lagged out. And then, so yeah, I wanted to take, I should have taken him over Sean Manaya. Maybe not should have taken, but uh, I have a little bit of regret not taking him over Sean Manaya. And then coming back around Griffin Canning, Justice Sheffield, what are your thoughts there? Um, Griffin Canning, I, I debated Matt Boyd, who went right after, but I went with Griffin Canning. And then also Justice Sheffield, um, it was between him or Mitch Keller, and Mitch Keller got taken the pick before me, so I took Justice Sheffield, made it pretty easy for myself, Um In terms of Justice Sheffield, I know he pitched really well. I want to say it was either today or yesterday. Had two innings, no earned runs, one strikeout. And then um, Griffin Canning, similar to the Paxton May conversation we were having earlier. I was kind of hoping with Canning, maybe a higher upside guy. I I don't expect any guys really in this range to pitch a lot of innings. So with these guys, I was kind of hoping for higher upside with Canning. And, yeah, same with uh, Justice Sheffield.
0: I like Canning a lot. I probably think he has the most upside of that group there between Manaya Sheffield, and Canning. Obviously, with Canning, the biggest concern is the health, uh, being able to play an entire season. But I think the strikeout stuff is there. I think he's looked really good this spring. And um, Sean Mania also last year pitched pretty well. And one thing I like about Manai is he has really good control, so the walk rate really isn't an issue. Um, Pitching at uh, Oakland Coliseum is going to be good for suppressing home runs. Ten home runs for Manai in the last two seasons of limited baseball, but uh, the walk rate helps keep the uh, damage down. Otherwise, Manai would be unrosterable. And I think that uh, he has a good team, so he's still under 30 years old. I think he's a nice little bounce back, Carl. And then talking about Sheffield, he's probably like the least the player that I'm least excited about of that grouping, but he probably has more floor, I would say, than Griffin Canning. At this point uh, between those three,
1: I would agree with that. I I would think Griffin Canning probably the most volatility, but I think the floor could fall out, you know, from any one of those three guys per se. You know, I think they could all be, you know, non rosterable midway through the season. Um, I'm kind of just, you know, taking a little bit of a gamble or a leap of faith. Justice Sheffield had 3.58 ERA last season. I know um, kind of a favorable schedule, but, you know, I'm hoping there's some improvements there. I know it was kind of a higher end prospect. Um, Sean Mania's uh, showcased moments where he's been very good. You mentioned that 2019 season very minimal. Um, even the 2018 season, 160 innings with a 3.5 ERA or 3.59 ERA. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of trying to hopefully get some guys to round out my pitching staff because I did take 10 bats out of my first 13 picks. So I kind of have to, you know, grab a bunch of guys here. I do think I probably should have got some closers in this range and maybe my team would look a little bit better. But, you know, if some of these starting pitchers uh, pan out where I would have taken a relief pitcher instead, um, my team would be substantially worse, you know. So I think the terms of like the volume of the amount of starting pitchers I had trying to hedge my bets and not taking the super high-end ones, um, I think I feel pretty good about my team so far.
0: Yeah, that's what I was exactly going to expand on, the idea of getting those hitters, the high-floor hitters, early on, securing that because I feel like those pitchers that are getting drafted while you're taking all the hitters, they're more risky, in my opinion, uh, just because they're a higher draft day investment than a lot of the pitchers you got. You you could cut your guys' basset through Sheffield without feeling any remorse. But if you invested an early-round pick on, let's say – Someone I don't like this year because of health. Denelson Lamet going in the sixth round. You're gonna feel really pretty crappy about yourself dropping him if he struggles this year or gets injured or anything like that. You know, knock on wood. I don't wish anything on him then, but you know, I think that that's the right call, Carl. You're getting got a lot of guys with upside like Justice Sheffield, uh higher floor than Griffith Canning, the Difference in outcomes, I think, is really wide, but with Sheffield, like last year, three, five, eight ERA, you mentioned Carl, his FIP, like the ERA peripheral field independent pitching was three point one seven. And why I think that's uh not obviously what he's gonna do. It's a little bit more of look into the in the upside he offers. And then on the other end, he had a four point five five Sierra. So you're not gonna feel bad dropping him, and you drafted him. Last out of that grouping, so if he does pitch well, or two, of those three or four pitchers from that grouping pitch well, look like the last seven pitchers, then you're going to be feeling pretty good, and you can just play the matchups throughout the year. So, I really like that approach that you took there, Carl.
1: Yeah, especially that's the thought process. I mean, I was thinking about my team last season, and I I didn't really have the starting pitching there that I needed. Um, I had really good bats. Similar to kind of what I've done this season, um, you know, taking the bats early. I know last season I was able to grab Story and then Tatis. And both those panned out in terms of bats early. And then I know I also got lucky last season with Trevor Bauer as my first pitcher. I want to say round five or round seven, something like that. But I know just given my drafting and like just how I kind of play the whole DeGrom thing going early. was was, I felt like very beneficial to my how just how I draft getting that pitcher early to kind of anchor it a little bit per se. Obviously one guy is not going to anchor nine spots, but I needed to say, even if I have starting pitchers who I'm not confident about, maybe I do just grab a middle reliever. Who's very good because those guys aren't rostered as high of a percentage wise. And I can just plug that guy in for a week or so. And then bring back like a Dallas Keuchel in a very good matchup, or Dustin May when he gets called up and's pitching, or Griffin Canning if he's doing very well, you know. There's or like you said, maybe they're not doing well. I drop them, and then I get someone who's like uh, streaking, or maybe who has higher upside that we, you know, kind of breaking out. So yeah, I do think that because these uh, arms that I'm taking later, there's not. I mean, there is a draft cost, but the cost to cut them there's no real cost to just move on and go about your life
0: yeah and the replacement you would be getting if you're cutting a guy like Lamette or you're cutting a guy like let's say Strasburg coming back from carpal tunnel offseason surgery or even uh the polarizing even
1: Franmer Bardells or Franmer Valdez I mean that's a big injury and he might be out for the season with that broken finger he's round six pick it might yeah be. And a guy
0: I'm a little skeptical on with the injury. Yeah, exactly. Very freak. So you're not going to you have less exposure to that risk of losing out on an early round pitcher by going hitter heavy. And hitters are less likely to get hurt than pitchers. And uh, another thing to think about is, in my opinion, the recovery time from injury is a lot shorter for hitters than it is for pitchers. So just something that I weigh into my draft strategy that's why i like the hitter heavy approach as well
1: yeah that's something i even talk about you mentioned the injuries being kind of different for pitchers and hitters the friend valdez there broke his finger on his pitching hand but they're talking about shutting him down for the whole season or potentially being a season-ending injury whereas i know batters have uh like they're able to bat and play with a broken finger like a uh, trait Trey, Trey turner Shohei played through
0: a uh, torn uh, UCL. So he got shut down as a pitcher but still played. Otherwise, he, if he wasn't a hitter, he would have gotten Tommy John. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Uh one question I have Carl because you're in a uh, five outfielder league or the TGFBI format is five outfielder or anybody playing that format? Yeah. Do you feel like looking back on your draft because outfield is so deep and abundant, especially like in the way late rounds like 25 or 20s through 30? Do you feel like getting four outfielders so far was something that you could have done differently, or do you still feel good with what you've done getting four outfielders through the first 20 rounds?
1: I still feel uh, pretty good about that, because then you look at like the outfielders going now. Um, there's guys like Nimmo, who could be potentially a, like a platoon player with Kevin Pillar. There's guys who I'm not as excited about. Going David Peralta, they're talking potentially a platoon bat. So there's um, some platoonish bats out there that are going late. Granted, I do think there's some high upside, um, even more of like a niche. Um, there's niche stolen base guys like a Tim LaCastro on the Diamondbacks going um, late that you could grab. But I kind of like the having the safety of my four outfielders. I feel like they're going to be very safe. They're going to play all the time. I don't have to worry about any sort of platooning or any sort of, you know, um, mixing and matching or any sort of that stuff. So I do feel fairly good about those bats. Um, You know, maybe I could have taken an arm in that kind of area. I did kind of want Corey Kluber going into the draft. But I don't think in terms of me drafting four outfielders – even I drafted four outfielders through round twelve, but even saying drafting four outfielders through round twenty, I feel like that's not really a big negative to me. I would kind of argue that I bet most teams have four outfielders at this point in the draft. Okay,
0: yeah, I just uh, find myself waiting, even though there's some outfielders I do like. Like, I think to myself, "Well, I can get like that." I, I would still like a handful. That's a lot of likes. Sorry. I could still get a handful of choices that I want later in the draft, so I don't have to pull the trigger on an outfielder, like, say, round 16 or 18 or anything like that. You said you drafted four through the first 12, so... Yeah. To me, I feel like uh, second base position, for example, or shortstop, uh, there's a certain point in drafts where those positions are just really hard to fill. An outfielder, there's still a lot of choices out there, so... I was just curious as to your thoughts looking back on getting that many outfielders, but uh, I don't think it's, it's necessarily a bad thing to have for.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Um, You kind of brought up though, that you wouldn't have the outfielders to get like maybe second baseman, shortstop, uh, third baseman, first baseman, kind of some of those like uh, more infield positions or maybe even the shallower positions like second base. But my, I, the way I drafted, I already had all those infielders covered. Like I had, Machado, Bogarts, Bregman, Biggio could go outfield second base, Max Muncie, first, second, third. So I already had all those infield positions covered, which then gave me the ability to get the Yastrzemski, Lewis, Gallo. So it's not like I'm, you know, I could have gone Cabrian Hayes, who I like at third base, but I already had Bregman and Machado, so that would have been kind of been a little bit silly and just moved him to my utility spot. But even then, grabbing the... Machado Bregman, I feel like that maybe even pushes up like a Eugenio Suarez or, you know, it eliminates some of those high-end third basemen and makes it shallower for my league, and I feel like those guys are safe. But um, in terms of your outfield question, yeah, I feel like I locked up my infield pretty quickly. So the outfield kind of concern to me would have only been pitchers right there, and I feel like there was still a lot of concern with pitchers. And there weren't necessarily a lot of pitchers that I liked in that range. Mm -hmm. So I felt like those outfielders were, you know, that was a good range of outfielders that I liked. Um, maybe you could, I could have gone like a Jorge Soler instead of Kyle Lewis if I wanted more power. Um, but I got Joey Gallo the next round. So that ended up working out. So it would have been excessive to have Soler and Joey Gallo probably. And I like the power speed. Um, But yeah, I felt very good about that kind of range of outfielders.
0: Yeah. No, I think you did a really good job building your outfield. So I just also do like some late-round outfielders that went outside the top 15 rounds in your draft. Really quick, Mitch is one guy I like a lot. Uh, Nick Senzel is somebody a lot of people are high on. Um, Jock Peterson, I think uh, with a full-time role, he could be 30 home runs guaranteed. Even if he does struggle against left-handed pitching, there's just not that many lefties, so... You know, he's going to give you a lot of power, gets every day at bats. So that's something that held him back was not getting full time at bats in Los Angeles. So I think he is going to have a lot of value. And uh, honestly, Carl, that Lewis Gallo pairing is really, really sexy to me. And then you have Yostremsky right before that. So that's hot.
1: Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the foursome right there with Grisham, Yostremsky, Lewis, and Gallo. It's a nice base. They kind of cover all my bases except for batting average, Um, you know. But they get runs, home runs, RBIs, stolen bases. So they kind of cover all those categories for me. So I feel like that's a nice base in the outfield. Did you say foursome, Carl? I I might have, but I blacked it out (laughs) of my mind. So
0: (laughs) first you said threesome, and then you were talking about foursome. So
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Add. I'd add your boy, Trent Grisham, into the group. I uh, just wanted
0: to focus on like the rest of your draft that you haven't finished and just ask you, based on what you've done so far, what is the strategy and what are some picks, like specifically players that you're looking to target by name in order to carry out this strategy?
1: Um, so looking at my draft, I'm going to need, obviously, just to fill out my roster, a catcher corner infield and then a outfielder and utility so i kind of need four bats to fill out my roster and then just bench positions essentially so i'm still looking at best available players um sorry i'm kind of stalling to pull up my team and the and the draft all right while you
0: do when you're looking at players carl this point in I feel like a lot of managers are stuck staring at a bunch of names and they all run together. So, what are you, what are some things that you're looking at in the players that you're picking? Like, obviously, this late you're picking upside, but what are some of the factors when you're looking at players like batting order position, who's ahead of them at the depth chart, et cetera, et cetera? What are those maybe little tiebreakers that you're looking to maybe get a little extra edge on these upside plays?
1: Yeah, some of that might go down to um, just spring. Pr- training how they're doing or even like the position battles if a guy that i like uh is winning a position battle um i'm curious to kind of see how the phillies break down their bullpen if archie bradley's going to be the closer hector narice that type thing there's other guys since i only have one closer there's guys i mentioned um when we lagged out i kind of had a run-on paragraph where I mentioned um, some, like, middle relievers or guys who might not necessarily have the closer role now, like uh, Stephen Crichton for the Diamondbacks, or Critton, however you pronounce his last name. Maybe him stepping into the role because, you know, Joaquin Soria not being so fantastic, or maybe the Diamondbacks being bad, they try to trade him, you know. Yeah. so That's maybe- more likely, I think, too there's potential for him to either get it in the second half. And then if he does get it in the second half, that means he was good in the first half. So then you, I would want those numbers. So guys like that, I'm probably looking at to try to fill out my roster a little bit, um, per se, because I didn't draft the like closer in line. So I'm trying to get maybe the one Bs or guys that are essentially better than the closers to do that. Um, I might take guys like a Mackenzie Gore, just some high upside arms, because I don't have the arms necessarily.
0: In a two catcher league, do you feel? How do you feel about drafting a third catcher?
1: I'm not going to take a third catcher, but um, I was looking at Jorge Alfaro maybe with my next pick, but even then, I I kind of still wanted to wait on catcher and still fill out my other positions and you know maybe take some more high upside guys and even if Jorge Alfaro does you know break out per se um, how much better is he going to be than a replacement level whereas like uh, if another arm that I got like a Mackenzie Gore if he broke out he's not going to have a lot of innings but if he were to make the roster and then pitch very well they'd be very good innings so I feel like that would be more beneficial to your fantasy team so In terms of the catcher position, I think I'm going to probably wait till later on and try to get even just more pitchers, even like some non super sexy guys like a Dane Dunnings and stuff like that to try to fill out my roster still. Um, and then in terms of outfield, I might try to get like some high upsides, not necessarily that they've produced super well, but like, uh. That they've had high upsides in the past, like a David Dahl or Willie Calhoun. Um, so, like you said, there's a lot of outfielders later that I'm not super worried about that. Um, in terms of my roster, I probably would like a first baseman. So, I might take like an Evan White late. Love it. Um, to kind of fill out my bench. But
0: also, Miles Straw as a late round out- outfield option, I think is definitely.
1: I. Want to say he just got taken in my draft?
0: He did. He in the twentieth round.
1: Yeah, yeah. He's another good name for stolen bases. That's also I mentioned Tim LaCastro, probably free in drafts if he able to get an everyday role. Probably gonna bat at the bottom of the lineup, but he has elite speed. And if but Diamond, he did get COVID,
0: Carl, so there's that.
1: If the Diamondbacks are bad, but um, I don't want to get into that whole situation, but it doesn't necessarily. Deter me as much. I guess it's a case by case sample because you could have an Eduardo Rodriguez situation. But uh, in terms of if we're playing a whole season, him having COVID right now, um, you know, how much time is he actually going to miss if he's getting it right now and is able to bounce back like most of these athletes are? Um, You on
0: Moncada. I'll make that argument. That's my only counter.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, but there's then we could do that. That's what I'm saying. I didn't really want to get into this cause I could do that counter all day. Like Freddie Freeman bald. So we could do this. That's why like, it's like a, it's a nitpicking game. It's a, it's a personal like one-on-one game with the whole COVID situation. So I, I'm not docking him for having COVID. It's not something that I am running away from. And it's almost, uh, I mean, I shouldn't overlook it, but it's something that me personally, I'm going to kind of overlook. That's fair. Like,
0: Definitely. Another late round outfielder I like, Ben Attendee, so not that there's anything wrong with yours, but if you are one of the managers who likes to wait on outfield, I like uh, several guys there later on. And uh, The closers, just to mention that real quick, I wrote up an article on the Fantasy Gospel website, so there's late round closers that I like to provide some sneaky save totals this year for various reasons, and I think that's worth a read. And uh, Carl, I like your draft overall, really, honestly, and uh, I love how you just went on a pitcher run while everyone's grabbing hitters, because they drafted their pitchers, so you kind of have the pick of the litter in that area of the draft.
1: Yeah, the one anomaly round 18, um, only one bat got taken. Oh. So that 18 to 19, kind of 17 to 19 range, there's been a lot of arms going in terms of like relief pitchers, starting pitchers, but... I agree. There's been a little bit before that, seemed like, yeah, a lot of people were taking bats and some arms were able to – I was able to mix and match a little bit there.
0: Rapid fire, two questions. First, which is the riskiest pick that you've made so far? Riskiest pick. I'm going to go with Jesus Lizardo. Uh, Because of the draft capital required?
1: Yeah, yeah, the capital and stuff like that. Whereas the other guys, I feel more comfortable dropping – if Jesus struggles, we already mentioned, you know, the potential babying him and um, not having the high innings like total per se to start with. Um, so if he struggles early or something, you know, that, that I think is the riskiest. Yeah, play. but uh, I do believe
0: in him providing quality innings, like you said, like 120, maybe 140. So definitely think he's gonna be. Possibly outperforming that ADP or that 7th round value. And uh, the second question then, really quick, rapid fire. Which pick has the most upside that you've made?
1: Upside. Dustin, mother, may I? Or the Sanchez? It might be Dustin May, but I don't think he gets enough playing time to, um, you know, maybe move up enough uh, next season. Um, So I'm going to go maybe... Kyle Lewis puts a few things together. It's a good call. And has another big year, or Trent Grisham maybe solidifies himself and he kinda maybe moves up into the Starling Marte range.
0: It's a great call.
1: You know, that's not a s it's not moving up a super high amount, but maybe he uh has the highest upside or something.
0: But it looks like Frambury got picked right before you picked BGO, so you got lucky there.
1: Yeah, I wasn't going to pick Frambe- or uh, Franber Valdez, but um, you mentioned the five innings thing earlier, and I believe he was the, th- I want to say, third guy in like, the longest innings per start last season. Ranked third in longest innings per start.
0: I was a big fan last year for sure. Uh, very unfortunate.
1: Yeah, hopefully it's just uh, you know a hiccup for him and he's able to get back. I I don't think there's been anything definitive as of yet, um, so still a hold. If you drafted him, you know don't go cutting him yet.
0: I feel like at least though he's at least out two months. If they're talking about surgery being season ending, he obviously screwed that finger up pretty good. So
1: yeah, but the interesting part, he pitched after he broke it.
0: Like that's crazy, right? But Kobe shot free throws after he tore his Achilles, so these are super humans competing at the highest level. And the uh, I feel like Framber is a gamer and just wants to compete and be out there as long as possible.
1: Yeah. And maybe there's the thing adrenaline was going, or maybe even the pitching after maybe made things worse. You know, I, I don't want to speculate into that, but that's possible. Very possible. There's potential for things like that or ligament issues with, you know, exactly. And, yeah. And we've also talked about like the batter's able to work through some things like that, like Trey Turner, breaking his finger and able to play a little bit last season or the year before, not last season, but in 2019. So, but yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, That pick, there was also, I was looking at uh, Max Freed right there, but I went with Biggio instead because I felt like there was a little bit of a fall off on second base with Biggio. It went then to Jeff McNeil, Moustakis, Dylan Moore. Um, I think there's some safety with those guys, but I kind of wanted more stolen bases. And so I went with Biggio there. One question, not on the outline.
0: Is there any pick that you've made that you wish you could just redo completely?
1: Um, maybe not necessarily redo, but I would uh, like to trade Chris Bassett for Devin Williams. I keep looking at that one a lot.
0: Is there, you do mention Williams a lot. So real briefly is there a reason why you are so enthralled with him if he's not going to be getting save opportunities?
1: Um, Not necessarily enthralled, but I've I've never been adverse to having the Andrew Millers of the world. Like when Andrew Miller was getting those 100Ks and then getting those types of pitchers like that are also in the high leverage situation. So I know wins aren't guaranteed but they do seem to somehow finagle a decent amount of wins because they're in those tie games and stuff like that. So they do seem to finagle a a bunch of wins. I'm not going to guarantee that Devin Williams gets a lot of wins. Um, But then also say Josh Hader has a hiccup this season. He instantly, does he become what? Top 5 closer? Top 3 closer? How much does he move up? So there's then that as well. Um, Then also in terms of just that profile, he's going to Uh, buoy your era and whip also giving you 100 strikeouts so he's not necessarily hurting you in strikeouts because how many strikeouts let's see chris bassett we think get like 140 pitching all season so you're only losing out like 40 to 50 strikeouts but we essentially think a way better era and whip so yeah I, i don't know i think that the having a devin williams is able to just buoy your team a little bit better and then if you have say you pick up a Devin williams and you have three Devin williams on your roster i know that's a bit excessive but that's a stud pitcher that's one stud starting pitcher you know in terms of statistics
0: yeah but at the same time you do kind of run into the issue of like if you have multiple two-star pitchers then you got to bench that that relief pitcher So he's basically like not even a factor for your team for the entire week. He's basically like, obviously you wouldn't be benching Devin Williams, but if you do do that with three of them or two. I'm
1: comparing it more to a guy. So your confidence level in, so we went through the, we'll just use my seven other pitchers. You're not confident in Paxton. Dustin May won't pitch that much. Um, How confident are you in Mania, Canning, and Justice Sheffield? you know um, Chris Bassett how confident you know how confident are you guys are you to then play these guys every week or are you just kind of spot starting these guys in which case the Devin Williams benefits your roster way more because you're spot starting so I think if I would have taken him and then I'd spot start with these other guys it would just been a way better situation for me because I don't have any other relief pitchers but I do think in terms of, I think what you're trying to say, well, maybe not trying to say, but the Devin Williams of the world, those guys do kind of pop up all the time. You know, we just don't know the Devin Williams of this year yet. Or like, uh, you know, at one point it was like Chad Green for a minute or Dylan Batances and Andrew Miller, you know, so we just don't quite know that guy yet. And I, I kind of agree with the draft capital might be too high. For that type of player. But I think with my team, it would have been nice in terms of my statistics and roster ability to have that kind of anchor a little bit.
0: That's a great point about not knowing and all those names that you mentioned. If you do pair two of those guys together, that's what 120 innings we'll call minimum. 120, 140.
1: Exactly. Of elite ratios, they flirt with like 160 to 200 strikeouts. You know, it's a stud pitcher. It's an SP, it's an SP two, you know, SP one.
0: No, I think, uh, that's why I needed to know what your take on Devin Williams was. So I think that was also very revealing in a lot of ways. And I think that, you know, you probably don't have to bust your fab on a guy like Adelon and you know, your weekly fab or uh, TJ Antone, for example, maybe he could be the next breakout relief pitcher. So, you know, I think that's a really good call. And if you can wait on a Williams like that for until after, or maybe around 16 or maybe you grab him around 17, then you don't have to worry about a pitcher that you're going to drop like you might if you draft a Matt Barnes or a Taiwan Walker or a Christian Javier or, uh or I don't know, all these names who could obviously be drop candidates any given week. So, glad you expanded on that point there with Devin Williams and uh, pretty sure that's it for me unless you have any closing thoughts on your squad.
1: No, I think we've kind of touched on the overall and kind of, you know, the thought process there. Um, So yeah, I also, you know, it seems like I went bats heavy and then arms heavy so I kind of got it in a little mode but, you know, overall I like my team. I think I'll have a fairly competitive team um, going into the season. It'll be interesting to see how things play out.
0: Very interesting because Smada called your league 24 of TGFBI a league of death. You have uh, Ralph Lifshitz, Sammy Reed, John Fish. Uh, These are just some names that I'm mentioning, but uh, obviously from top to bottom, that league is super strong. So I know you're going to represent the fantasy gospel, Carl. I love the squad so far and I'm excited to see the rest of your draft play out.
1: Yeah. I mean, league of death, the, the draft rate's been pretty slow, and that's kind of been my fault, but <laughs> uh, a little it's a bit league, of- of snail- <laughs> league of snails, bro. A little bit for myself, too, but uh, <laughs> I do get distracted by
0: work, so... Yeah, it's tough. Uh, the managers I'm with are cool. They always hit me up and try to give me like a heads up so that way I can be ready for it, but sometimes uh, you're just not able to check it, so... Yeah, yeah. Got Razzball <laughs> tomorrow, got the Fantasy Gospel League draft starting on Monday tomorrow, so... Draft season is in full force.
1: Yeah, it's a perfect time. But that wraps up my team, Mike. Uh, do you have any more questions? You, we good to wrap it up right now.
0: No, that's it. I think uh, this is really fun and sorry for going so long, honestly.
1: No, no, it's all good. I love getting your insight on my team, um, you know, kind of hearing your thought processes, maybe guys you didn't like, maybe guys you do like, and, uh, you know, kind of see where maybe you pivot and stuff like that. So I always like getting your insight and you know it's been fun mike once again everyone thanks for listening to me rant and talk nonsense with mike thank you guys yeah yeah you can reach out to us at the fantasy gospel you can reach out to mike on twitter me on twitter and um yeah once again everyone thanks for listening